0: Welcome once again everyone to Swing Thoughts, the award-winning golf geek festival about the mental side of the game and all things golfy golf. golf. My name's Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show, golf spiritual leader along with uh, mental performance guru, Coach Tim, uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca, HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Great to be with you on TSN on this PGA Championship weekend, Uh, and we're going to be speaking with a sort of area resident, Hamilton, Burlington, uh, PGA professional, Mike Gligick, uh, about his his, uh, getting to the PGA Tour after uh, a number of years. And just like the rest of the golf world, Tim, you know, we're going to find out that it isn't easy even if you're, you know, uh, an amazing elite player and golf's a tough game.
1: I mean, he's not like a god or anything. Uh, I don't know.
0: Uh but uh oh, this I program know. brought to you by uh TaylorMade Golf. Are you uh, finally fully uh you know are you playing all TaylorMade? Are you are you back to uh you got the irons, you got the uh, the the woods and stuff?
2: Yeah, I'm well, TaylorMade through the bag. I just
0: hang on a second there. Mikey, we haven't really introduced <laughs> you. yet, But of course you're TaylorMade. Of course you're TaylorMade through the bag. Team TaylorMade, Mike. I'm just talking about O'Connor uh, and everything. Oh, yeah. We, you know, we, we could we wear our TaylorMade stuff. O'Connor, are you using the SIM stuff you've got
1: all? I can't yes. remember. Yeah, well, I got the SIM driver. I've got uh, last year's 3-wood. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, what I'm really enjoying is the... Uh, my new P seven nineties and well and of course the driver, but yeah, tailor-made throughout the bag.
0: Yeah, I want to talk to uh, Micah too. Uh, that there's something about that hybrid. Like uh, honestly, people, it's like this mystical thing. The they the the driver's grade, three woods and stuff, but there's this hybrid, and I wonder if uh, Gligik's using it. Um. Uh, in the second half today, we're going to talk about getting ready uh, for club championships. We've got a great listener email. We get very excited when somebody finally reaches out to us. Um, Tim and I were sharing back and forth. Ooh. Yeah, we thought we had like one big fan, but apparently we have two. So we're going to talk about that. And uh, also before this show's over, what is the difference between playing well and having fun? And can you do both? Uh, which brings us to our guest this morning. I first was introduced to him in a uh, pro-am golf tournament a few years ago. It was one of those things where it's like a bunch of scratch golfers and a pro, and uh, I was with a, a couple of good players, and we were. It was a scramble, so there was we were playing. I think in an eight some, or was there six of us? I can't remember. But I, you know, we all thought we hit the ball pretty good, and then this kid, Mike Gligic, gets up. And, uh, you know, everyone has stories about seeing how far people hit it. But I remember we're playing uh, Eagle's Nest and we're playing the back tees. I guess it was a tip and tuck. And it's 250 yard par three into the wind. And everybody I'm hitting driver, (laughs) but everyone else is taking covers off their clubs Except for the kid. And by that time, we'd already played for uh, the whole afternoon. We are having a great time. And I just looked over at Mike. I'm like, I wonder what, what's he going to hit? And then he rips this iron through the wind. And I just kind of looked over. And I think it was a five iron. I'm like, I don't think this is the same game. I don't think we're playing the same game anymore. Mike, uh, welcome to the program.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it.
0: You know, that was just a few years ago, and yet the point I met you, you didn't have status, I think, on any tour. I think that was about 2017. But maybe take us back, because you turned pro a long time ago, relative. What was part of your journey? And, and, and it give us some of the experiences of getting to the PGA Tour.
2: Yeah, I guess uh, most people nowadays, especially, are going the college route. And, um, you know, there was a few... Uh, reasons why I decided not to go the college route and just get a jump start on the whole pro career. But, you know, I spent uh, about a decade probably playing on the McKenzie Tour, the Canadian Tour, and uh, pretty much every mini tour around the world. And, um, yeah, it was a lot of hard work. But, yeah, around that 2017 time when we played, I think I was probably just playing on the McKenzie Tour and, um, you know, trying to get back out onto the Corn Fairy Tour. And, uh, you know, fortunately, recently, I was able to do that. And then, uh, you know, this time around, I only one year to get through to the uh, PJ Tour. So it's, uh, yeah, been a pretty good run the last uh, couple of years.
1: But there's a time there that you thought, hmm, maybe not. And you, you took some time, time off from the game. What led you first to go off looking at, at professional golf as a way you make your living to going back and giving it a shot?
2: I think the main thing for me was finances. Um, you know, never growing up with, you know, a big bank account to fall back on and um you know truly living that um you know mini tour grind of paying my last dollar for this entry fee and pretty much having to play well to make a check and uh so i can afford the next entry fee kind of thing and um you know i think looking back on it that uh you know had a big impact on my career and i'm you know As big of a struggle as it was then, I'm pretty fortunate that it all kind of panned out the way it did, and I think it made me a bit stronger uh, today.
0: Now, Mike, you've played mini tours. you played the uh, McKenzie Tour, Corn Ferry, and now some PGA Tour events. Can you talk a little bit about the level of talent, how deep the talent level is? Because there's guys on some of those mini tours in Florida playing two-day events. They could play tour events on the PGA Tour, and and, and it's not as big a... Not as big a difference as people might imagine, um, and how have you found that?
2: Absolutely, the last uh, you know five six years, especially I think the talent levels just through the roof. Um, you know, you, you're seeing Mackenzie tour or Q schools. I think they have six or seven Q schools where they only take ten guys out of 150 or something like that. They get full status, and you got to shoot some crazy numbers to get through. These are all the college studs that you know, had unbelievable college careers that, um, you know, didn't get through on the Corn Ferry Tour Q School. And, you know, they're falling back to the McKenzie Tour. And, you know, you're up against those guys. And, um, yeah, nowadays, like you said, the competition is just so deep. I don't think people really have an understanding of how deep it really is. But, um, you know, I've always said you could, you know, take some of the top mini tour guys and, um, you know, put them on a PJ Tour driving range or put them beside, You know the hundredth player in the world whoever that is and you know you would never be able to tell me you know without recognizing them who the mini tour guy is and who the pga tour player is who's made millions of dollars so 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 mike that uh, yeah it's really deep
0: so that being said were you intimidated when you finally got to you know get your pga tour card were you intimidated playing in your first couple of tournaments
2: not really but i think there is an adjusting period i think i've uh, you know taken a little bit of time to get adjusted regardless of what tour i've um kind of graduated on to i remember my first couple years on the mckenzie tour you know i was just this little punk kid that uh you know graduated off the local mini tours and um i remember you know looking up to a lot of those guys i think at the time it was the andrew Pars and the jc deacons and graham de they were all playing on the mckenzie tour and i was like wow look, i'm playing with these guys and um you know, as uh, as the years went on, I started to get more comfortable with the McKenzie Tour and, and you know, so forth with the Corn Ferry Tour. And, you know, now, finally, I'm starting to feel pretty good on the PGA uh, Tour. I'd say, you know, there was a learning curve. Um, I wouldn't say I was really intimidated. Maybe at Tory Pines putting beside Tiger Woods. That was my only Tiger Woods moment thus far. But, you um, mm-hmm. No, just, I mean, everything's just a little bit different and bigger and more grand. Um, you know, the golf courses are a lot more stout on the PGA Tour, and um, it's just, you know, a bit of adjusting, going to different cities, and, you know, all your travel's a little bit different, and um, I think just combined, it's just, um, yeah, it takes a little adjusting, but um, I think now I've finally kind of got used to it and feel pretty good out there.
1: So what's made the difference in terms of your your outlook shall we say mentally on how you get through these things. I I can imagine that there's times in which you get in certain situations earlier in your career, as you said, grandolette, whoa. And then, then you're on the PGA tour. How do you get by that without your mind kind of spilling out into all kinds of thoughts? You know, do I belong here? How do I stack up? How do you deal with that stuff?
2: I think at the end of the day, I've just always said like, I've earned my right to be here and you know, I deserve to be here just like all these other guys. And, um, that's kind of how I've looked at it. And, you know, I try and dumb it down a lot too. I try and think of it as, you know, it's just golf at the end of the day. Like, you know, a lot of people in the media will try and make it out to be more than it actually is. But, um, you know, I'm just trying to play golf and it doesn't really matter if it's a round of golf with my buddies or, you know, a Sunday on the PGA tour, I'm going out and I'm, you know, trying to shoot the best round I can. And, whatever happens at the end of the day I'm going to add them up and whatever the score adds up to that's what it is and um, I'm going to try and go home happy at the end of the day and that's it.
1: So that's awesome. That's that's really grounded and very mature Michael so well done. <laughs> but was there a time in which you weren't so mature? Oh absolutely. So tell us about tell us about that and how you overcame that.
2: I think um, you guys mentioned Paul Doolin at the start yeah. Um, I think, you know, I've worked a lot with Paul Dooland and um, one of the biggest things for me was I'm not a leaderboard guy anymore and it's it's a very strange concept and
1: Meaning um, you don't look during the event, I right? I don't,
2: don't look at all and it is kind of weird because you know, I have a lot of good buddies out there and you know, let's say I play a good Thursday round and you know, Friday morning they say good round to me, I don't really know how to respond because normally I would be checking to see how, you know, Mackenzie Hughes, Nick Taylor and all those guys did and I would you know, have an idea. But I don't really know how to respond. You know, Corey could be leading the golf tournament, and I just don't really. Say
0: oh, wait a second. So you're saying you don't? Weird. You're saying, Mike, you don't look at the uh, leaderboard all the way through the tournament as well?
2: No, nope, I'll look Sunday after the round. And interesting. That I'll finish. Uh, I finish on Sunday, and we just finished Sunday at the Barracuda in Reno. I asked my caddy what place we finished, and uh, that was about it. After okay. Friday's round, I generally ask uh, if we played well enough to make the weekend. And hopefully he says yes. (laughs) And then, um, Sunday ask you know, what place we finished as soon as the ball goes in on 18 and that's about it.
1: Wow. Very cool. So was there a period in which you got, you did get caught up in where do I stand? How am I doing? Am I going to make the cut? Did you, did you have a lot of that kind of stuff going through your head? I
2: did. I did. And I just felt like it was just unnecessary pressure pretty much. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what the cut is, what other guys are doing. Like, I'm not going to play, you know, the first hole Sunday at, you know, Reno, any different or the second hole or the third hole I'm going to go and I'm going to try and make a birdie. And, um, you know, I think for me just dumbing it down and making it simpler and just, you know, it sounds cliche, but just going out and trying to play and add them up at the end kind of thing. I think that's what's uh, been best for me. And, um, you know, when I won last year on the corn Ferry tour, I think that was like the fourth event of not looking at leaderboards. And wow. I made a putt from, I think it was like four feet on the last hole. And, you know, you kind of know where you stand one because of your tee time to, you know, the crowds kind of were gravitating towards us at the end there. But, um, you know, I made a four footer and the crowd was cheering. I said to my caddy, how did we do? I genuinely wow. did know. I knew I was. <clears throat> You know, up there, and he he said, uh, "I think we won, unless I think it was Carl Ewan was in the final group, and I think he would have had to birdie maybe the last three or something." Wow! And it was like that was the first time. Yeah, I mean, I I think I've asked my caddy maybe maybe once or twice, and it was kind of like a weird scenario where you know Friday and you're grinding to make the cut, and you're kind of in a weird situation on um, you know one instance. Stands out, uh, par five in Florida last year on the Corn Ferry, and I was in a weird position in a fairway bunker, and it was a par five, and it was kind of like if I need to make birdie, I'm going to play this a little different than mm-hmm. if I need to make par. If, if par is going to be good to play the weekend, par is a safe way to go. But if I have to make birdie, I need to take a bit of a chance. And yeah. he told me we needed to make birdie, and I actually made birdie and made the cut on the number, so I was happy that I asked. But
1: you know, um, that, I, for I the want
2: most part. No, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, for the most, I was just going to say, for the most part, um, you know, I don't know at all where where we stand.
0: Well, and, and that's an interesting thing as a as a takeaway for the amateurs who listen to our show. We always like to bring it back. Uh, whatever expert we have, whether it's a mental performance coach like Doolin, who is a super friend of the show, um, and uh, both Tim and I. You know, friendly with Paul. I've worked with him as a player as well. And and what's the takeaway for the average person is that where you stand versus the people in your group, the people in your tournament, um, or even keeping track of your own score. Like, talk to me a little bit. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Like, you may not know where you stand in the tournament, but do you know where you stand in relation to the round?
2: I mean, I feel like I always kind of know. Um, yeah. It's hard. It's very tough not to, to be honest. Um, you know, there's a few rounds that stand out and genu- uh, generally they're probably some of the best rounds where I can honestly say I didn't really know what I shot that round and kind of add it up in the scoring tent and see what it is. Those tend to be the really good rounds for whatever reason. I wish I could get to that state a little more often, but... No, for the most part, you kind of have an idea. Sometimes, you know, whether it be one, two under, three under, I don't really know. But um, you know, you generally, uh, sorry, generally uh, know no, if I, you're playing good, playing bad, or
0: I, I, for me personally, if I'm playing really well, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure. If I'm playing really badly, I'm like, I'm a million over. I don't know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a big number. I just don't know what it is.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but I mean. I think the whole mental side of it goes, um, you know, a lot of people don't really realize how important it is, especially at high level golf to, um, you know, to be able to control those, you know, emotions and those thoughts and whatnot. And I think, you know, that's why Tiger Woods is Tiger Woods. He's probably the best ever at it. And, um, you know, that kind of goes to show you.
1: So Michael, part of, um, what we try to address here on the show is, is what can we learn from, from experts, you know, tour players like yourself. So a lot of people wonder, how do they deal with all the thoughts in their head as they're standing over a shot? Do they get a voice? that You know, that voice. It's never a helpful voice, of course. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, don't hit it in the woods this time, you idiot. Or how about you carry the pawn this time? How do you deal with the thoughts that sometimes intrude?
2: Yeah, I mean, you're right with that, Tim. Uh, I think everyone gets those you know, voices. It doesn't matter the level, but For me personally, I think just really focusing in on a target and I think I can really tell you know, the rounds that I'm playing good versus the rounds that I'm playing bad all get up on a tee and rounds that aren't going good, I feel like my vision is a lot wider. I see the water on the right. I see the trees on the left where when I'm playing good, my daddy and I are like at that tree is where we want the ball to finish and that is like honestly the only thing that i can really see out there everything else is kind of a blur and when your focus is that tight i think your misses become tighter too yeah so um i think that's one thing that's really helped me and it i mean it's a you know it's a process it doesn't happen overnight but um you know the more you really try and focus in on you know small specific targets i think it really uh you know tightens your focus and tightens your misses
1: but what do you yeah, say I to think- me okay go ahead well, I just wanted to ask, but I think what you're talking about there is commitment. You you yeah. make a commitment with your caddy, you go, this is the target. Just And I think that's maybe something that a lot of amateurs miss out on is deciding this is the target and the commitment. Can you talk about how that plays a role? And
0: before you do, Tim, what I want to pick up on what you're saying there is amateurs listening might say, well, it's easy for uh, Mike because he can hit it toward a target, but I don't have that ability. Um, and, and before you can have commitment to a target... Amateurs don't believe they can hit that target. But I would say that even if you're a 12 or 15 handicap, having an idea of where you want to hit it is better than having no idea.
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, every amateur can, you know, hit a fairway. So if you can, you know, if you're trying to just hit the fairway, let's try and tighten that fairway, even if it's just in your mind. Yeah, you know the fairway's still going to be whatever 30 40 yards wide but let's pretend mentally that it's five yards wide let's try and hit that five yard wide fairway and i think um you know if you pick those really specific targets and it doesn't even matter if it's just off the tee or you know chipping or putting or whatever it is rather than you know i think it's going to break somewhere right to left and i'm just going to hit it out here somewhere and hope it breaks into the hole let's pick like a blade of grass or a you know a pitch mark and pick like the right edge of the p- pitch mark, or you know, a very specific landing spot for your chip. I think, um, you know, anytime you can tighten your focus, is just going to uh, you know, produce better results, and I think in the end, just better misses.
0: And what Tim was saying about commitment, I think, goes hand in hand, but I think a lot of the higher handicap or a lot of golfers just don't think that they're ready for that yet, and yet the irony is, as you said. You know, if you're picking that tree down the right-hand side of the fairway, and you happen to pull hook it, well, your misses are better because you're just on the left-hand side of the fairway, whereas a lot of guys will just get up there and just go, I'm going to hit it out there somewhere, and the problem with that is when you miss it, it could be anywhere.
2: Absolutely. One of my, um, this is a little off-topic, but uh, one of my favorite interviews that I've heard, uh, I don't really watch that much golf or listen to too much golf, but... Uh, one of my coaches sent me the interview of Brooks Kepka when I think he was kind of talking about when he first got on tour, he was saying, you know, mentally he was going into events and he was thinking about the cut and, you know, what he needs to do to make the cut. And he always found himself right around the cut line, just making the cut, just missing the cut. And he finally developed the mentality of, I'm just going to go win. And the cuts just happen all the time now. Um, he's always around. You know the lead now because that's his mentality at the start of the week. He's going in. His only goal is I want to win this thing, and he doesn't even worry about the cuts anymore. And I think that kind of relates back to you know picking the you know tight targets like a tree or whatnot. Um, you know if you're just trying to hit the fairway and you miss the fairway, then you're you know in in some trouble. But if you're picking a tree and you're just missing the tree, you're probably still in the fairway or right. maybe just off. So I think um, you know that kind of relates.
1: Well, it's interesting that you mentioned Brooks Kepka because I think it was about, how I think it was about a year or a year and a half ago that Kepka was, it was in a major and someone had said, What are you focused on this week or what are you thinking of as you play? And he goes, Nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Faldo, I know. Yeah. Nick Faldo was laughing at that <laughs> Yeah, I know. But I, but I think it, what, what he was talking about, and I think this is something that, that amateurs struggle with a lot, is they get up over the ball and they've got like, you know, a pilot's list of things going through their heads. So how do you, what, what do you have like a swing thought about, I'm going to do this with my hip today, or I'm going to, you know, what do you, what do you folk? Is there any kind of focus mechanically versus say, just make a full swing a uh, i uh, I mean, a fluid swing or whatever?
2: No, I try to just leave all the swing thoughts on the driving range, to be honest. Um, you know, even now before rounds, after rounds, I'm, working on a few things in my swing um but once we get on the golf course it's just pick a target and go um you know i think my body you know knows how to swing the club it's not like it's broken or anything it's just yeah. i'm trying to improve a little bit and trying to make you know some small tweaks for you know some long-term gains kind of thing and um you know i still know how to play it's not uh, it's not that i need these swing tips so um you know i would just kind of say that uh you know people need to make all their adjustments on the driving range and once you get into uh game time just go play and just be uh yeah specific with those targets and
0: It's interesting and Mike that you say focus that. In on that because most amateurs go to the golf course to try and figure out how to swing a golf club even though they've been playing it for 40 <laughs> years uh speaking of kepka and you mentioned tiger in our uh i'm just checking here in our last couple of minutes we got about 120 seconds now that you're on the PGA tour Team Taylor made and you talked about looking up to different Canadian players is there somebody that you would be intimidated playing with or has there been somebody that you were a little like ooh I got uh, I got to play with this guy
2: uh, not really I think um, you know tiger for me would be one that uh, would definitely stand out I've just been a huge tiger fan looked up to him for so long and he's done so many great things for the game. So he'd probably be the one where, uh, yeah, I'd maybe feel a little different on the first tee. But, yeah, um, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, they're all great guys out there. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't say I feel too intimidated.
0: But what about Tiger in person when you first got to watch him hit a ball as a professional golfer yourself? What was that like?
2: It's still pretty special. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. It really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It just seems like there's like an aura around him or something. I don't know. I mean, it's Tiger Woods. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the only event that i played with him this year, I think, was Torrey Pines. He hasn't been playing a whole lot. So, um, yeah, hopefully we cross paths a little more.
0: Did you, like, Beyond were you on the range just kind of sneaking a peek down, seeing how he's hitting his 7-iron?
2: <laughs> a little bit. I spent a little more time with him on the putting green. I was intentionally trying to putt over to the holes that he was putting out. That's so, really fun. You know, I couldn't get a <laughs> glimpse at that uh, magical putter that he's been using.
0: Uh, well, listen, Mike, uh, Mike Ligek, uh Team Tailor-Made. thanks for taking some time with us this morning.
2: Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, Vera. And all have the best fun. of luck to you. Uh, I will say play well, and Tim will say have fun. Have fun. <laughs> uh, this is Swing awesome. Thoughts. Uh, we'll be right back here on TSN 1150 in Hamilton. And of course, you can download the show uh, anywhere that uh, people do these uh, podcast things. We'll be right back. Sound
1: of the river, you're stopping your home. Everything.
0: And uh, welcome back to our second segment here on Swing Thoughts, 1150 TSN Radio in Hamilton. Uh, great to be with you, brought to you by TaylorMade. Uh, my name is Humble Howard, Humble and Fred Show, you know, that thing. And, of course, uh, Tim O'Connor's with us, a mental performance coach. O'ConnorGolf.ca, brought to you by TaylorMade. Uh, visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn about all kinds of new stuff going on with the Shape in Motion family of TaylorMade products. The all-new Sim and Sim Max drivers. And, uh, you know, what can you say? Uh, If you're looking to... You know, they say there's an old saying, you can't buy a better game. But in this case, you can buy better golf clubs as a pathway to a better game. And TaylorMadeGolf.ca is where it starts. Uh, Tim O'Connor, interesting talking to... uh, PGA Tour player Mike Gligick in our first segment. If you missed it, you can go check it out at uh, Swing Thoughts, the podcast, Apple iTunes, all that stuff. Interesting kid like that, you know, playing against all those players. And one of the things I, we talked about is the how much talent there is. And I was thinking about Brendan Todd, who like a year ago, yeah. around this time a year ago, I think he was the 2000s, something like that, player in the world. Right, And he just, I, f- I think he just cracked the top 50. But the point is, there's lots of guys out there that we've never heard of <laughs> that are so good. It's sickening.
1: It's just hard. To, it's hard to relate to. And the thing that is, um, it's kind of grounding, if you will, to to have a to be able to have this opportunity to talk with a guy like Mike Gligick, the same way it is with Rebecca Lee Bentham uh, last week. And you get an understanding of how freaking difficult it is to make your way, uh, successfully in the business of being a tour golfer. Mm-hmm. I mean, here he is. He's 30 years old. I mean, he's been, he's been at this as a pro for, I think, about 12 years. That's so, right. Wow. And so he's finally on the PGA tour. And man, you know, and like he said, you know, what was the key thing that held him, uh, you know, that held him back or, cosmos it was the finances can you i mean people this game is hard enough but wow it's so hard to imagine you know knowing like wow you gotta make this cut are you gonna have like i don't know enough gas or you know are you, the mortgage is coming up you add that on top of it hard hard game gets harder
0: Well, you know, I'm looking at Mike's statistics and his last tournament, he finished 26, which is, you know, a very nice shot. 72, 68, 68, 65, and made $48,000, which is a nice payday. But then he's got missed cuts and a couple of made cuts. And, you know, his best finish is 21st um, early in the year. But, you know, you make a great point about, you know, the rest of us get pissy. When we have a bad <laughs> round on men's night, but we still get to go we still get to go home and have pizza because it's not our livelihood. You know, guys always joke, well that's why my name's not on the bag, but those guys whose men and women whose names are on the bag aren't eating if they miss that cunt.
1: Yeah, it's it's so and I think that you can imagine how strong they have to be in terms of being able to stay focused on the task at hand if you will you know and you know on that target and i love what he was saying about not being a leaderboard watcher because he really realized i think we didn't get too deep into it but you know if you are looking at leaderboards you're just riding this roller coaster of emotions you know make a par okay make a bogey oh my gosh and then there's all the you know, and then you start to perhaps run the risk of evaluating yourself. How do I compare? Oh my gosh, I have it. I don't have it. And what he's talking about is that ability to stay focused gives you an opportunity to just put that stuff kind of on hold. Mm-hmm.
0: No, I, I enjoyed that part. And again, I, you know, I've had some success recently, and and with the advent of the digital, you know's. Um, Scorecards, and I and I played in events for for years now, where you can watch my progress online, and I never do because I find it I find it distracting. But now, but now because we're all keeping score on Golf Genius as well as a backup card, you know, I I was I told you about the Invitational I won a couple weeks ago. I was tempted a couple times because it's a long day; it's twenty seven holes, and and every time I entered our group score. There's a you could check the leaderboard. And I I specifically <laughs> didn't even before yeah. I knew I was playing well. I, I mean I was just playing along and I'm like, it's because you're curious. Part of it is how are my buddies doing, you know? How's the yeah. field doing? But the last couple holes when I knew I'd had a pretty good day and was coming down to the end of the tournament, I specifically didn't do that. And it saved me because I was only one shot ahead on the very last hole. But what how differently would I have felt if I had known that, because I don't think I have the, you know, he's a seasoned professional. I don't know how I would react on the eight or the 27th hole knowing I just needed to make par to win. Because I played that last hole like I played the other holes. Like I'm going to try and do my best, try and make the lowest score I can, and it happened to be a par. That happened to be enough, but it changes how your body feels. I think if, as you say, you start getting back into the "where do I stand" mentality,
1: I think that what he's done too is taken probably some great advice from uh, yeah, a friend of show Paul Dooland yeah. his uh, mental performance coach. Because one of a Doolin standbys is control the controllables. You can't control how other people are doing. You can't even really control your score. You can certainly influence it. So if you kind of say, all right, here's the things I could control, say my process, you know, committing to shots, et cetera, but I can't control where I stand in the field, that takes one other thing that could be distracting or just cause you to – it really has an influence on your swing too. The more tense you are and the more you ride that roller coaster, let's take that out of the equation. And who's funny, I kind of laughed at myself for saying – you know when he said you know i just you know i don't look i went that's very mature of you but it really (laughs) it is mature but it is because you think of of how you know younger people gosh i sound like an old guy but i am 63 um get so caught up in in social media and all this stuff that's this tsunami of information that's coming all the time, and at a certain point I think you just realize does this really serve me yeah to be inundated with all this stuff constant constant i I just don't think it is and and so in golf, if we can find ways to just control our environment both mentally and you know best way we can we we give us, uh, ourselves a much better chance of performing and, and having a good time. Okay,
0: where you are right now, physically with that microphone, is perfect. Okay? Um, we, we do this on the Humble and Fred show all the time. We're all on Zoom calls and everybody, like we had a guest on earlier. And, and of course, their mic's different than our mics. But where you are right now is absolutely perfect. Let's move on now to our latest. Uh, we got so excited that we got an email from Cam. And I don't want to get into the correspondence, but let's mention that Cam is an American listener. I believe he's from Maine. Yep. And uh, uh, do you have Cam's... You just sent me... You cut and pasted. What's Cam's last uh, name? Oh, God. You put See, me there the you spot, go. man. Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, there's a bogey for the show. It doesn't. Oh, Cameron Scott. There it is. There you go. Exactly. And um, he says, you and GSL, a.k.a. Howard, touched on intentions... And being intentional in your play, he, he talks about what we just talked about with Gligic, you know, picking conservative targets, making intentional swings, um, and he goes on to uh, talk about on on uh, practice rounds. Any advice? Because he's playing in a tournament. Any advice from either you or GSL? I have a two-day stroke play tournament coming up at a course I've never seen or played before. I'm going to play a practice round. Any advice on how to approach the practice round? I'm planning on taking a few photos of each hole, which I thought was great, mm-hmm. for visualization and meditation. Good on you, Cam. Absolutely. Um he says, "I'm going to take a notepad to note conservative target areas, distances, blah, blah, blah." So, what? You're a coach also of a uh, university golf team. What mm-hmm. would your advice be for Cam? <clears throat> excuse me, and any other
1: people that are going to have some tournament play coming up? Well, first thing I would do is is take advantage of technology. And use uh, Google Earth and to take a good look at all the golf holes. And you can even start to use um, the measurement in it to figure out, um, you know, in a not absolutely precisely, but pretty darn good in terms of, you know, where are the good landing areas? How much space do you have? And that gives you a degree of familiarity, that bird's eye view of the golf course, um, that's even part of um, Scott Fawcett's decade system. He that's teaches right. people how to do that, because when you get that bird's eye view, it really shows you particularly not like particularly where things, um, you know, if you run through fairways, where the fairways narrow. So that's that was the first thing I told uh, Cam.
0: You know, I, uh, I sat down with Sean Casey a couple of years ago, another friend of the show. Um. Just after we had taken, Tim and I had taken the decade course, and I went off to play in Victoria for the uh, Canadian Mid-Am, and Sean and I did that with Google Earth. We did the technique, the decade thing, where you can basically overlay this grid on yeah. any fairway that you can see on Google Earth. And, and you're right, Timmy. You can get a pretty good idea that that bunker out there is 245, and you can kind of plot your way around the course. My advice for practice rounds excuse me because I've got a I've got a gao tournament coming up in a couple weeks on a golf course I haven't played in years and I'm gonna go play a practice round for a couple with a couple of things in mind what are the clubs I'm gonna hit on these holes to make it the simplest that I can like where won't I hit drivers so those are things I note but around the greens I'd say to cam and anyone else, Like, don't play a round of golf to keep score. Play a round of golf to just get familiar. Hit if it's if it's you know doable. Hit a couple extra shots. But when you get to the green, while your other players are playing, really play and, and try and hit some putts to different corners, just to get a feel for. Oh yeah, this generally breaks that way. And what I do is I will write down the general break. On a scorecard or a notepad, so that when I get there in the tournament, I go, okay, this kind of corner I've noted. I'll even put the little arrows on it, just so that you, if especially if it's a course you don't know, so that when you get there in the tournament, you feel a little little, little bit of comfort that I've I've putted that shot. You hear it on the telecast all the time. They'll say things like, "Oh, those guys would have practiced that putt because yeah. they would know that. Oh, yeah, that's probably going to be a uh, a pin position."
1: Yeah with with the university golf golf team I don't want them playing a match with with each other it's not a chance for for buddy golf it's a chance to get up there and experience the golf course uh take notes uh try different shots
0: No that's very very good No that's uh that's exactly it um I mean, if you've got a couple of days, like some of the bigger tournaments I've played in, you get a couple of practice rounds. You might play nine holes to see just for scoring. But if it's the only round you get, basically just see if you can hit as many shots as you can. Okay. So what is the difference between playing well, or what does it mean, I should say? Not the difference. It's not a need. It's not a debate. You know, Tim and I were texting back and forth about this a few days ago. Um about playing well and saying, have fun. Because it's this sort of thing that becomes the first T, Okay, guys, it's time to play. All right, everyone, have fun, play well. But really, what's in those thoughts? So you, you're you the have fun guy. So what, is, what does it mean to you?
1: To me, that puts golf in perspective for one thing, and that... At the end of the day whether you're playing a, a casual Saturday morning round or it's club C or a qualifier whatever it the end of the day it is about having fun it's not a, it's not a test of your identity or anything like that and to me if if I have if I go into it with a spirit of having fun I give myself an opportunity to play better because I'm that much more say I'm going to be relaxed I'm going to be able to enjoy the course I'm going to be able to to be with people um, in a way that, that I'm actually listening to them and I'm in the environment as opposed to being in my head.
0: I like that. Um, and I think that's, a, you know, I think if somebody were to think about their friends saying have fun, I think what a lot of people do, though, you know, the cynical people, which is most
1: people. <laughs> I
0: Is think, that you? I think, no, people? but I, I think cynically, a lot of people go, yeah, I'll have fun if I play well. You know what I mean? Cause, exactly. Because oh, yeah. it's all go, you know, all golfers can relate to this. You know, the first few holes, you know, there's this sort of spirit of, you know, adventure, positivity. But as soon as you have some, you know, your first triple, it's not as much fun, right?
1: Exactly. Um, well, I like, what do you think so... So let me just ask you. So what do you think if we say play well, what's maybe the positive or, or perhaps the negative in that? Well, that's interesting because I never think
0: about I never thought about what that means negatively, but I guess it could have the same thing as play, as have fun. If I cuz here's what I'll say. For me when I say to somebody play well, I think what they think or what most people would accept as it means have a great score well right like yes. good luck scoring exactly. well today and that's not what i mean okay cool and and but that's what people mean when they yes. say because what they really want to say is hey hope you have a good score today right have fun hope you score well that's what we're wishing each other but playing <laughs> yeah. well is is what we've been talking a, a lot about on the show and and away from the show if you play well and don't maybe score well, because they're not completely, they often are tied together, but if you do the right things, if you chip out when it's appropriate, when you're in a bunker and you can't get out, you you you, you play the safe shot and make a nice soft bogey or at worst a double, that's playing well. Yeah. You know, I didn't have a, I was telling you off the air, I didn't have a great club championship in terms of where I placed. But I played as well as I could on every shot. It didn't work out because golf's hard, and I'm an old man. But I but I played well. I didn't score well, and that's what I mean. I guess the negative is playing well has
1: nothing to do with your score. Um, Absolutely, and you can. You can play well, I'm thinking of, of days in which your ball striking is pretty good. Um, things are going well, but you don't score well. You just don't. You get a bad bounce. You get a, you, things lip out. It hits the flag and doesn't go in. Particularly today, that's a that yeah. is a weird thing. That is that
0: COVID flag bugs me, man. Oh, me the, too. Oh, I can't that's, stand it.
1: I know because yesterday in a match we played, what it, what a guy hit the pin and the ball goes out and is that. Like, Sorry, that's yeah. not golf. We can't say, nah, if that wasn't there, it would have gone in. Then it's not golf. But you And I think that's part of the attitude that that sustains people like Rebecca Lee Bentham and Michael Gligic is knowing that there's days in which this game, a hard game like we've attested, it's is, as my dad used to say, the game giveth and taketh away. It that's mostly right. taketh.
0: <laughs> well, and it ties in nicely to what I wanted to say about, you know, your club championship this weekend and, and tournaments that I play in, but even just the regular day-to-day play that we all do. You know, Mike has some weeks, I was looking at his stats, where he misses cuts. Some mm-hmm. weeks, you just don't have it. You know, and, I, and the expectation that we're supposed to be sharp every day we play is ridiculous. And I, I haven't been particularly sharp the last 10 days or so. You know, I've had a few higher scores than I'd like to, but I can promise you this. I've had no rounds of golf recently where I didn't think I played well. I, I didn't score great, but I certainly... Even in the second round of the club championship, I'm, you know, I was out of it and I had a, I was in the second or third last group, but I just wanted to finish the day. And, and I hit probably one of my best shots of the, of the tournament on my last hole because I still had the intention to do what was right in that moment. But as we say, it doesn't always work out. And so I think we, we should remind one another to forgive ourselves for days when we're just not that sharp because it is, you know, It's no, you're not. Doesn't matter what your handicap is. Nothing says you have to shoot it every day,
1: right? But the so I've been going through this a lot for the last two weeks in terms of um, I put wrote a blog about it. I think what we're talking about is how do we how do we deal with our ego, which is like this whiny brat (laughs) for me, anyways. It's like oh you should be better than this, and oh another crappy round, and oh maybe you should be doing this and all that, and it's it's just kind of like it's almost like dealing with this backseat driver. It's like turning around and saying, well, you, you know what? You just shut up for a moment. I'm not, or I'm not paying attention to you. And that's hard to do. I mean, what Michael Glick is talking about, what, what we're just talking about is just like, you know, have fun. Don't get too worried about this. That's again, that sounds really mature and it's good. And it is that, but every once in a while we get caught, I get caught because I'm, you know, I hit a bad shot. I hit a stupid shot. Um, and, like, yesterday, I in my match, I just, I had this easy shot on number 11, which is the easiest hole at Blue Springs. And I just hit this weak, eh, the, into the bunker. And I buried the the head of the golf club nice. in the turf. <laughs> That's my boy. But I let it go. But, it, you know, within, like, 10 seconds i was talking with my buddy uh partner michael and we're laughing and we're carrying on and but that ego oh my gosh that's that's a hard thing to deal with but how do we deal with it it's just being aware of oh that's the all those stories i got in my head that's not really who i am and, and that's not really true and all that we just got to sometimes just kind of press pause on all that noise going through our heads
0: yeah um and remember, you know, you can say it's a tough game till you're blue in the face. But, you know, the, I've really been thinking a lot about forgiving myself. I know that sounds crazy because I, I, I tended to just I always just but to just always be on. I must, you know, I must be great today because I'm a great player. But, I, you know, I, I, our uh, our second round of the club championship got rained out. And I'm playing with kids from 6,900 yards. In the first round, I had hit hit the ball nicely. You know, I, I played pretty well, didn't score a great shot you know 78 but I hit a lot of greens in regulation and I'm sort of like I was in there I tied for 5th or 6th but the last mm. round you know we got rained on it was a long day I didn't tee off until 2:30 in the afternoon you know as my buddy Paul said to me you know you I usually going to have a nap at 2 you know I get up you <laughs> Timmy and I get up pretty early every day you know somewhere between 4:30 and 5 every day so by 2:30 man I was already yeah. tired I started off nicely but then we got Torrential rain. We had to sit down in the car for half an hour. When I came back out, I just didn't have it, and I was just oh, making it. bogey after bogey. And we're now we're playing sixty nine hundred yards on soaked fairways. So I'm oh, hitting it. Yeah. You know, I carry my driver two fifty in the air, two fifty five if I really thump it. So I was hitting. I was playing a four hundred and seventy two yard. Par four, and my ball went 250 yards. Like, it's a tough day for the old guy. So I, I forgave myself. I yeah, just nice, made nice. bogey after bogey after bogey. And by the time it was all over, it added up to my tied for worst score of the year. But I, I promise you, I left the golf course with none of it on me because I played as well as I could that day. I just, it was a tough day. I was on the golf course from 2.30. We didn't finish till 8.20. I could barely see at that point. I'm soaked yeah. and tired. So I felt there was no reason. How would I get mad? What would I get mad at? But I can promise My you dad. there was a time I would.
1: Well, that's the th- thats the thing that I want to just maybe explore with you a little bit is like, what? what's made the difference for you? in terms of not getting angry and getting the stories going and blah, blah, blah and whining at yourself? What's made the difference that you don't do that now? I don't know. I, I've been meditating a lot lately, Tim.
0: I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm I'm doing this. Uh, Rachel and I are doing this 21-day uh, challenge. <clears throat> and uh, you'll love this. <clears throat> it's the Dan Harris app. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 10 makes happier? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is going to sound hilarious, I think. But every day I get to see how many more minutes she meditates than I do. <laughs> so, like, it's she keeps. She goes, "Honey, it's not a competition." I go, "Everything is a competition." But um, we're gonna have. to tell you what, we're gonna do a little podcast extra. We're gonna wrap it up here. On uh, TSN, uh, Tim O'Connor, you got to read his blogs, O'ConnorGolf.ca. I think they're well written, they're well intentioned, and I always find some uh, value, and you will too. Uh, HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Uh, thanks very much to TaylorMade, uh, TaylorMadeGolf.ca, and of course, thanks to uh, Michael Gligic, who's a made Tour player. That's right. And, and so, uh, thanks
1: to uh, Taylor May for putting us in connection with Mike.
0: Yeah, very much so. Uh, you can hear more of this conversation uh, if you go to our uh, Facebook page and uh, download the show. We have past episodes. And thanks to our newest uh, best fan from the U.S., Cameron Scott. And we'll see you next week. I
1: like to step inside, but you don't see too many faces.
0: All right. It's our podcast extra. So Connor and myself here. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Why do I feel this way now? I mean, part of it is, yeah, as I told you before the show, having one uh, recently is kind of taken some of my edge off because I can, you know, every time I go to the golf course, my ego is satisfied because I'm parking in a spot that says you won something, <laughs> you know? So that's cool. Um, but also I just i just decided that you know, I can't control my my aging carcass every day. And some days it feels better than others, you know. Like, I can know if you see I got my my band on. I'm I've got some little I didn't notice that. It's the first yeah. time in years I've had that, so my elbow's bugging me a little bit and Ouch. You know like I played men's night yesterday. It was a gusty, gusty day and I you know, again, I didn't score great, but, you know, gosh, as you would say, I played really well. I just, I, I didn't make worse than a bogey all day. Didn't have a three putt. Didn't have a penalty shot. Didn't have a lot. Didn't hit a lot of greens. I hit about 10 greens. Normally, I'm about a, you know, I'm a little higher than that. I'm a very sort of reliable 11, 12, 13 greens in regulation. And I, I just didn't make anything. But I, I just... And I played with some very good players. And um, I just felt it was that kind of day. Like, it's a tough day. I didn't... I just didn't... I hit three pot bunkers, which were all left... All led to bogeys. But they're all soft bogeys. They were all tap-ins for fives. You know what I mean? Those kind of bogeys where you're like, okay. Yeah. I was in trouble. I didn't didn't, didn't let the whiny ego guy take over. I just got back to safety did a good thing onto the green, and then two-putted. So even though my score wasn't amazing, it was okay. You know, I shot 77. But it was just very... I left the golf course, and again, I didn't feel ashamed of myself for how I behaved. And I didn't feel all churned up inside. Because to be honest with you, Timmy, I wasn't hitting it great. I was hitting it okay. Just not... I just didn't... The other thing I'm not doing now is trying to go solve my golf swing. Like, I went in and had... Uh, a pop and some uh food. I didn't go to the range going, what the fuck is going on with my backswing? Cuz you know, day to day, most it's mostly there, you know.
1: Yeah, I think that that's so cool that you've under you've come to understand that the game is basically what do we bring to the course? And on the range we do, you know like Glickick was talking about every once in a while well, he'll work on things on the range and then he leaves it there yeah. and, and he just, and he goes plays and he does his best and whatever happens, happens. Um, whereas I have a sense that the overwhelming majority of amateurs, probably the people who listen to the show, seek salvation on the range yes, and that it's that it's somewhere in their backswing or through swing or wh- whatever part of the swing they're looking at and the mechanics will be their salvation. and. I think that if there's anything that we can, you know, through our thousands of years on this planet attest to, and all the people we talk to will say that it's the space between your ears. You need to look at not where your elbow is in your backswing. I I would, I would want to nominate that for
0: the quote of the day that the salvation, (laughs) the salvation of golf, which is what we all seek, whether you know you're doing it or not. The, Salvation you seek is not in your backswing. And that's why playing well every day is attainable. You don't need to score well every day. But every day I play now, I feel like I, I'm playing the game to the best of my ability that day. Because I'll tell you, lately, I, you know, they talk about this on, you hear this on TV, but I haven't been hitting my lines. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, you know, I'm trying to draw it off that tree, you know, on one of the holes we played yesterday. I don't like get up there. I got my hybrid. I'm going to hit a, a soft draw off this tree. And I, and I just didn't. I overdid it. I pull hooked it. But I was in the fairway so I could mm-hmm. find my golf ball and play it again because my target was so conservative. But I just didn't hit my lines. And and some days that target line for me is more or less Sharp. So when the last 10 days or so, it hasn't been as sharp, but my playing has been okay. So those those bad shots aren't horrible. They're just fine. So I haven't been scoring great, but I felt because I've been intending, my intentions are good. And I'm not looking for salvation in hitting a straight shot. I'm looking for fun playing the game, you know?
1: <clears throat> Excuse me. You for, for the first couple of years that we did this podcast, every once in a while you talk about playing the game, and I, I I'm not sure where I talked about we talked about this on air or off air uh, last week, but it's only in the last say three months or so that I've really come to understand what you meant. Yeah, and when you say playing the game, that is so different than than playing golf swing. You know, yeah. where am I in my backswing? I give you a great example, and it's the game. When you play golf, when you play the game of golf, yeah. you, not, you, you, you score better, <laughs> yeah. and, it's, and it's actually more fun. I know what a novel concept, having, gol- having fun playing golf, but I'll give you a, a, a good example of playing the game. I had a match yesterday. We talked about this before, but I think it's worth going over. Um, so I played Blue Springs. Number two, really difficult hole. Uh, there's really no place to miss but short front.
0: It's like a couple hundred yard par three that plays downhill that has nothing but chaos from the yeah. middle of the green to the back if you're left or right of it.
1: or And, and long, whatever. Long. So I just went, okay, I'm playing a match. I, I get a stroke here, oddly enough, on a, on a par three. So I went, you know what? That pin, it was playing about 190-something. Uh, my hybrid would would reach it easily. But I went, you know what? I'm going to hit a five iron. And I think just through that, I just felt relaxed. I hit dead nuts, five iron to the front quadrant of the green. And I went, even if I three putt, which is highly likely when you got about a 60-foot putt, yeah. I'm still okay. I'm going to make a bogey. And I actually got a stroke. So so I hit this five and hit it dead solid. And, and in fact, I did three putt. Um, but I got a stroke and we tied them. So... To me, just that's kind of a long story there. No, but no, that's but that, about,
0: that's, that's exactly me, that what was, I mean.
1: That's about, to me, that was playing the game. And I had, so it was fun coming up with the strategy. I like the fact that I came up with that. And, you know, the result was okay too. I would
0: also say it's a very mature approach. <laughs>
1: we have a theme. Um, we have a theme. I love it.
0: Yeah, well, and, and that's what I mean. Like, you know, I, I used, to, and Henrik, my coach, friend, best buddy, whatever, sponsor, he, um, and I mean that in the uh, Friends of uh, Bill uh, context. That's a very, uh, that's a code, by the way. Only a few people will get that. I'll explain what it means after. <clears throat> but, you know, if you're, if and again, back to what you're, the phrase salvation through, I would say a lot of golfers are seeking salvation through controlling the golf ball. And the irony is, of trying to control it through moving your body in a specific way versus, you know, playing a shot out there somewhere. Like, you know, I I didn't really have my good stuff yesterday. I had some okay moments, and as the round wore on, because I wasn't trying to solve my swing, I was able to then play the the shot in front of me. You know, the the back nine we played yesterday, I didn't hit a green in regulation for the first four holes. I made two pars and two bogeys. But I wasn't trying to figure out why I keep pull-hooking and blocking shots. I was like, well, I'm in a bunker now. I better play it safely rather than being pissed off that I hit it in the bunker. I'm like, I better play it safely. I got to lay up now on this par five. I hope to get on the green in four, which I did, and make a two-putt uh, for bogey. And that going to the next hole now you feel like okay you know i I sucked it up i made my bogey and now i'm not carrying any stink with me to the next hole because we all do that you know we just carry this stink around with us you know hole after hole but what i've learned is you know the old thing eventually your handicap shows up if you let it and so after three or four scrappy holes on the back nine, where I was a couple over, I'm like, okay, I started to hit a fairway, then I hit a green, then I, you know, and then, you know, I made a birdie, and then the thing ended, and I shot a couple over. But I, I learned that if I carry the, why is my swing all screwed up, then mm. I'm missing what's, like, to, you've said this to me, I've said it to you, then you're not present anymore, You're not here because you're back on the 10th tee where you pull hook the hybrid. You know what I mean? It's like it's and it doesn't matter if you're a 20 handicap or a two. You know, we all carry that. We all carry it. If you can let it go a little bit, then, you know, then you'll maybe make a nice chip and save a par or you'll make the correct bogey, which is what I mean when I say playing the game, you know? Like, I hit oh, a horrible yeah. shot. We we played this six hole at Leithfield, which is a tough hole from any tee. Like, I was playing it on the weekend. It's 472. I was hitting driver three wood. <laughs> but even last night, I had a decent drive, but I still had 220 into the wind, and I blocked it way to the right. But that's the place to miss it, because I could find it, pitch it on, two putt for five, and move on. If I'd missed it left, <clears throat> excuse me, hole's over. So... <clears throat> the idea is pardon me if you have the right target and you're playing the right shot even if you hit it shitty it'll end up in a better spot
1: yeah no, totally totally that's been a key takeaway for me from uh, my personal coaching with the uh, golf spiritual leader it's so i'm finding that i'm able to i fall in and out again it's with, i think this battle with my ego and um but i was proud of myself yesterday i was before we got on air we we're talking about this match i played with a plus 7 plus oh 7 yeah it's crazy that shouldn't I mean, even be I, allowed i know <coughs> um and and his partner was a, merely a plus 2 my golly hack um <laughs> so number 8 at blue springs um tough driving hole and i pull it and it but i get a break and it doesn't and, and I find my ball. I won't go into all the details. I mean, I was felt very fortunate, but I was proud that I didn't try to fix the pull that I made on my next swing. My next swing, I actually had a, is off a kind of a tough lie, and I just went. You know, it's 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 about one, it's about one ninety ish. But if I hit a five iron, which for me is kind of one seventy five, one eighty ish in there, um, just put a smooth swing on it. I can kind of get to the maybe middle. Well, I just, but this, just kind of gave up control on it and just made this, made one of my best iron shots of the day of the year. Nice. Penetrating flight drew in and it was just off the green and I chipped up for a tap in par. But I think that the the thing, what I was proud about there was that I didn't, I just went, okay, that T shot is done. Yes. You pulled it, but let's just, be here now, and and just be present to this swing you're trying to make, and it came off. And it's almost like sort of like I surrendered to it, and it's really it's almost weird. Is that the more I give up control, we've talked about this before, the more I gain control. But I have to fight against my ego constantly. We all do. At going at going like oh well, you know what? A couple holes there, you you felt like you finished your backswing, so maybe if you do that. And and, and when I get into that nonsense, that's when the erratic shots happen again.
0: You know, we didn't really. uh, I I have so many Paul Henrik quotes because he's the guy that I work with the most. And he's the one that introduced me to the big boy golf and being a professional and all this stuff that I've talked about for four years. And believe me, Tim, there's stuff he's been telling me for four years that I'm just starting to get. One of the things he says, and it's true is that good follows good. So here's the difference. Let's say you're still pissed off about pull-hooking that drive. And so now you're going to try and hit a shot and you're working on your backswing. That's not good. And what follows that often isn't good because a lot of us listening would look, you know, we've all been in that situation, is you're still pissed off that the thing you're, you're working on and it didn't work. And so you're invested in that as opposed to, okay, what's this shot now require of me? In this present moment. And because you were in that mode, good followed good. Even if you hadn't flushed it or hit your best shot of the year, but you would have done something where the mistake would have been better than you worrying about where you were with your external rotation of your right shoulder. Exactly. Um, I had a situation last night, hit kind of a crappy drive in this tough par four. I don't know, it was like 195 into the wind, back pin. So I was about to hit a four iron. And this goes back to something that Dr. Joe Parent said to us four years ago. I got over the ball, and it was a little bit more above me than I first thought. I went, ooh, that doesn't feel right. And the lie, even though it was on the fairway, was a bit, I could feel with my, put my club down behind the ball, was a bit hard. Like, man, I could, this is a tough shot anyway. It's a four iron. Which is a tough shot And I thought, ooh, that doesn't feel good either Because I could, I could uh, fat this Or, you know, it's, a, I, it, it's I'm not, there's not a lot of give there So I went back, talked to my caddy Which is Howie And I took out my hybrid Choked down almost to the steel Or graphite in this case yeah. And I just hit the sweetest little cut Middle of the green Because the good followed the good because yeah, my absolutely. ego, I should be able to hit four iron. I'm a good player. I, I was like, screw that. I just want to give myself the best chance. Because even if I had hit a poor hybrid, I would have been up I would have been somewhere near the green. But I could have hit that four iron. I could have, I could have fucked it anywhere. Like you know what I mean. Like could have gone anywhere. <laughs> totally. Could have gone in the yeah. hazard. I, but and that's what he means by when you have good intentions on a shot. Another good example, if you've got a, you've missed a green and you've got a tough shot to a near pin and you've short-sighted yourself, but you think, hey, I should be able to hit a flop shot, land it just there and have it trickle to the hole. Well, most of the time, we double chip it. We chunk it or whatever. What he told me was, dude, I don't care how good you think you are. When you're in trouble, get it on the green. Get it to 10 feet. Give yourself a putt at par, bogey at worse because what a lot of times and it's happened to you, happened to everyone listening, you think you should hit this, you know, heroic chip and you end up making a bogey or a double. I'm sorry, a double or worse. Right. And and I can't tell you how many times now I go, Okay, I'm out of position. I'm gonna make a nice swing through this pitch. It's only twenty yards over there, and you know, lo and behold, it ends up pretty good.
1: The good follows the good. That's Chaos lovely. follows the ego. Yeah, well said. Well, it's interesting. I just made a connection between when you hit a shot in the woods and you think, oh, there's a little there's a little opening there. If I hit it over this tree and draw it here, um, it's the same decision process as when you've got a difficult chip. Because the reason you have a difficult chip is the same reason you're in the woods. You've hit a bad shot. So you kind of you're in jail, you know. Even and now you have to pay, <laughs> to pay the piper, if you will. So you you chip out uh, to get yourself back and play out of the woods. The same way you use that, you you chip to a location where you can make the sh- you can get yourself on the green. That's so that's great. very cool. I've connected those dots that I don't think I've ever done before, but. Again, it's it starts with awareness. What's going on here? So instead of just reaching for for you know, I'm going to make a flopper here. It's like okay, what uh, what am I? What's going on here? Well, if I hit the flopper, you know, I could make double or whatever. But if I just chip here, maybe I make you know bogeys the worst I make. But it takes some degree of awareness. So where I'm just going to drone on a little further. <laughs> Last night. The reason I was, you might have noticed I was just like smiling the entire time during your story was so last night, I'm on the third hole at Blue Springs and really difficult hole. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a weird kind of hole. It's a, it's a
0: dog leg right, but it's like, yeah, but it, it's like 190 it, yards or something and then yeah, directly. It's, it's like well, a it's 90 a, degree dog leg. 90 degree dog leg. I find yeah, that very hole very funky because you got to yeah. be so, even if you're hitting an iron off that tee, it's a tough little, You have to sort of fit it
1: in a little weird little spot. Yeah, so here's the thing that I was getting into is that so (laughs) I'm standing over so I got a hybrid, I've choked down on it. I want to hit this fade out there to the left side. And I notice as I'm standing over the ball, God, you're really open? (laughs) Make this swing. And I hit a foot behind the ball. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. And the ball just skitters off into this shit. And, everyone, and I just started laughing. And everyone in the group started laughing. And it was just like, and I was actually rather proud of myself that I did react by laughing. And then I just hit this beautiful shot because it was like, I totally relaxed. But the point is, is that if I was really on my game and in a state of real good awareness, I would have went, oh. You're thinking about how open you are, as opposed and going like, "Whoa, better restart here. That's better right. just step away." And in that part of my game, I'm still working on.
0: Uh, you know, it's funny because Paul came to uh, watch my last round of the club championship. You know, we were just not cicati, so but you know, like I wanted him to see me play a tournament round and and talk about some of the things and you know what what he said he really enjoyed is how many times I didn't do it excessively, but three or four times in that round, I stopped myself. And one of the times was just that I was over the ball and I had words in my head. And I can tell you when I'm, when I'm really engaged, I'm not really doing a lot of talking to myself. I'm certainly not saying, Oh shit, I'm a bit open because when I find myself doing that, I stop. I, I find myself sometimes over putts thinking about, the, the, the putting thing I've been working on lately, and I stop myself. I go, you know what? It's, the hole's just right there. Bink it, it's just bink it over there. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's not that hard, but it, it, it really is the, and I would say this as a takeaway, it's the catching yourself. It's like meditation. In yes. meditation, one of the things that I'm, really getting into lately is when you notice that your mind is wandering to bring it back to whatever's anchoring you that day, breathing or skill
1: of awareness, you're discussing
0: and, and in golf, it's the same thing. If you can catch yourself and stop and start again, then you'll, it really is. It builds a good habit of making sure that over the ball, you're just going to try and hit it the way you've been doing for the 20, 30 or 40 years you've been playing the game like what Mike said is I know how to go I'm going golfing in an hour and a half I know how to golf now I don't know if today is going to be a great scoring day or not but I know when I'm the first hole I will try and hit it to a safe spot on the fairway that I can guarantee you it may not come off but I can play well every day I I, and that is different than scoring well you're right it often leads to it but it's it's a different thing and yes have fun i love what you said about hey let's just enjoy this day but as we both know on the fourth hole when you make a triple it's often tougher to enjoy the day but if you make a double instead of a triple you because you've played the right shot you
1: know then you'll you, you leave the stink behind. <laughs> you do. Right, but you can, you, can but it, you know, one of the things that that's what Cameron Scott was saying, he and I were having an exchange on LinkedIn, was that one of the things he learned from our podcast, he said, was he can make a triple and still have a good day. And that he, he realizes it's not the end of the world. Uh, it doesn't mean that his golf swing has come apart. He forgot how to play. This day is ruined. It's none of that. He just happened to make a triple. So we get on to the next hole, and we and that's that's the art of resilience is being able to bounce back and and again I, I tie so much of this just to awareness of catching yourself. Where are you right now? It, whether I'm standing over the ball, am I am I in my body or am I in a or am I in thoughts? Am I in the woods thinking oh, if I just take this and bend it here? No. What am I? What's going on right now? And when I'm and when I'm in that place, things just slow down. Mm-hmm. Things are quieter. I don't have that roller coaster of emotion. It's more of a nice ride, this wave. And as I talk about this, I'm thinking like, golly, Tim, that'd be really good stuff to do in your Club C tomorrow. Well, I will leave you with this. Another Paul Henrich, uh
0: saying, when you get in trouble, ask yourself this question. Have I ever made a birdie before? Or if you're a higher handicap, have I ever made a par before? You know, Mm -hmm. like, and what he means by that, you know, on the fourth hole of the back nine yesterday, I thought I hit a good drive. I hit it, I over, I didn't pull hook it, I just overhooked it. And now I'm in another pot bunker at Glencairn, fucking pot bunkers. But I, you know, I, I, so I say to myself, okay, I'm 150 to the green, but I don't know if I can fully get it over this lip. So I play it safe, and I say to myself, have I ever made a birdie? Because on that third shot, if I get it close enough to the green, to the hole, I might make that putt for par. It's like a birdie. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and if you're a higher handicap player, hit it out of the bunker. Have you ever made bogey or par before? Because you might get that. So now you're on the green. You two putt for your bogey. Great. That's your job. Is when you're in trouble, ask yourself, "Hey, I've, I've got up and down from the fairway before. Like you know, on a good hole, we've all done it." Like that hole you described, you you fatted it off the tee, but by the way, three still in play because you hit it out to the corner of the dog leg. You could can your third shot, but you certainly couldn't make par on that hole. Whereas a lot of times guys go, oh well, you know that's it, hole's over or whatever, exactly, or the rounds over, or the rounds over. But you know if you've asked yourself the question, have I ever made a birdie before? In a, you know, in our case, lots of times I've done that. I've been one thirty-five after pitching out of a bunker or the trees, and got an up and down from that point.
1: You know, hit it to fifteen feet, the ball goes in. Oh, exactly. And, and you know, that's there's so much gold in what you're just talking about. And and I got to think that one of the most exciting things to happen in golf is when you have that pitch out and you hit you wedge it to ten feet and you make the par putt. Yeah. Wow, that is. That is to me. that's I get more jazz from that than you know making a six footer for birdie. Well, I'll
0: tell you what, man. You know those those holes where you make a bogey or a par after being in trouble. Those are the holes that you look at on your good rounds, on your best rounds. Those are the things that keep it going, and yeah, and good follows good. It always does. Uh, I want to uh, wish you uh, fun <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> I want you to have fun, but I want you to play well. Because playing well, as I've just discussed for the last half hour, lets you leave the golf course satisfied regardless of the
1: score. Yeah, 100%. Okay. Yeah, that you did your best and you played in this state where you brought your best self to it. And and in some ways, to me, it's... um, the thing that i've been connecting with a lot about it is is i want my higher self to show up on the golf course i don't want to be that whiny brat yeah because um, that, that that's a part of me i mean I, i'm 63 but part of lots of part of me that's still three years old Absolutely. and everyone that's not how i want to show up in the world including on the golf course so when i can be more aware of what's going on go uh you know what that little whiny voice right now i'll just put you on pause thank you very much and, and hit this shot,
0: and know that you know it's like the, these are golf has so much that can be good and bad that you know it's it's rocky seas out there sometimes, man. You know, and and you're going to get out there, and and you know you might get you know two or three holes in, you know you you might have had some bad luck or whatever, but continuing to play the game. <laughs> Always brings the opportunity for good things to come later You've made birdies in a round You might have a double bogey or two early on But just keep playing the game Versus that three-year-old Which we've all done uh, Listen, man, I gotta go I'm gonna go uh, yeah, me play too. some golf here Good man, uh got a little music as we're saying goodbye uh, This will be uh, I guess uh, I'm gonna send the file to Phil This will be up in a couple of days And uh, I'm, let me know how you did this
1: weekend Send me a note yeah, so, so we'll see you in two weeks. Cause That's right. We're taking next week off, we'll have some archival stuff.
0: Yeah, next week, the best of Swing Thoughts, uh, yep. some of our uh, highlights, and uh, and I will I will talk to you this weekend. Have fun and play one, yeah,
1: thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course.